Let's jump into um, Mark today. We are in Mark chapter 7, verse 27 through 37. You can click the Bible tab option if you want to read along. Um, let's start in verse 24. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an unpure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply you may go, the demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying in bed and the demon gone. So let's pause right there. Let's understand what's happening here. Here, Jesus is in a place called Tyre, and it is in a country called Phoenicia. Now, according to some scholars, uh, this is documented as the furthest that Jesus ventured out beyond the borders of Israel. Uh, and this city in particular represented all sorts of paganism, represented all sorts of um, different, different, completely opposite of Jewish values, completely opposite of Jewish traditions, everything opposite of what Jews believed to be good and true was happening in this city. So why is Jesus here? Why is Jesus here? Is, is he here because it was a destination that he pre-plotted on the map? Is he here because it's getting a little too dangerous in Israel and he just needed to escape? Is he here because he's on his way somewhere else? Why is Jesus here? And again, if you look at the map, he's outside of Israel. Didn't the Messiah come for Israel and its people? What is he doing here? Well, I can tell you that I think all of the above are true. I think indeed it is getting very dicey for Jesus right now in Israel and um, things around him and about him cannot be hidden anymore. He has specific things to do, and he knows that his time is very, very limited. So why here, why this country, why this town, and what just happened with this conversation with this woman? Well, I'll tell you more things that I believe to be true about this situation. This person is a woman. This person is a pagan. She probably believes in multiple gods. And this person is a Gentile, meaning a non-Jewish woman. She is the furthest of the furthest, the last of the last person to believe they have any claim to lay on the Messiah of Israel. But in one very awkward exchange, we see that she understands the gospel in all its beauty. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. That's what he says to her. I mean, what is that? Is Jesus feeling particularly snarky that day that he just wants to throw this parable at this woman and make her feel like even more of an outsider by confusing her with this strange sort of riddle? Is that what he's doing here? 
Jesus used the term dogs here because that's how the Gentile people, her people, her, that's how they were seen as the Jewish race, as dogs. This was not a loving term. Dogs were not the lovable part of our family, sometimes treated better than some family. Uh, they, they were not the lovable pets that we know them to be today. It was a term that indeed said you are the last of the last, the furthest of the furthest thing according to those times and according to people of that day. No one would have expected Jesus to have even an exchange with this woman. In fact, in the book of Matthew, in the account in Matthew, in chapter 7, Matthew's account says in verse 23, it says, Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying after us. Even the disciples are super annoyed with this woman. They're thinking, you, really, you come here to ask for something? You? Now, she probably could have left bitter. She probably could have left disappointed. It would have been so easy for her to give up. But she is so desperate. She is so desperate. She doesn't just turn around and leave. In verse 28, she says, Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. You see, she knows exactly who she is. She, has, she knows she has no claim. She knows that she is the last of the last, the furthest of the furthest person to come to him and demand anything. She knows it. She fully understands and accepts that. But she also fully understands and has accepted who this man has come to say he is. She knows that he is the only person that can help her. She knows that he is the only person who can help her little daughter who is afflicted by this evil spirit. And I know that a determined parent will drag themselves across any floor that they have to drag themselves across in order to try and save their child. I have never been in such an unimaginable situation with any of my children. Chris and I have had to, we've experienced a couple of close calls here and there. One time we, we were on a busy street and our son Joshua, he was two years old and darted into traffic and Chris flew. He flew in and grabbed him just in time. Another time, I basically shut down a Target store for about 10 minutes because I couldn't find little Kaylee, who was three years old at the time. And I stood at the back of the door like a big security, you know, bouncer, and I just kept yelling, nobody leaves here until we find my daughter. Nobody leaves here. And I shut down the Target store for 10 minutes. She was hiding in a cubby underneath the register. Just a few years ago, when crossing the street to my kid's school, someone wasn't paying attention and, w and was about to hit us, was about to hit me and my four kids. And I don't know who I thought I was, but I was bracing myself for impact, and I did like this so that I could take all the impact myself and protect my children. The closest I have ever come to this woman in the sense of rejection 
for care for my children was when my twin daughters were very small. You see, when they were very little, I suspected that something was off with their hearing. I actually thought that one of them, Abigail, I thought that Abby was actually mostly deaf. But checkup after checkup and, you know, my concerns were just passed over as an overly concerned mother. Oh, kids just hit milestones at different times. Kids, you know, work at their different rates. You're just, don't worry, it's going gonna, it's gonna to work itself out. After all, they were healthy and happy babies. What was I going to say? I'm not a doctor. I'm not a hearing specialist. What was I going to say? What was I going to bring to the table? But I knew my girls. I knew my girls. I knew something was wrong with their hearing. So I started documenting their hearing through video. And um, they were almost two at this point and not making any sort of sounds that made sense. Nothing to resemble mama, dada, or any sort of word. Nothing. So finally, I went to a doctor after doctor after doctor until finally someone said, you're right. Abby can only hear at 30% and Claire can only hear at about 50%. So they were about two and a half when they went in for a little corrective surgery. Within a week, Claire clearly said mama and Abby soon followed. When my girls began to hear well, I could see it. I could feel it. I could feel it. When this woman went home and saw her daughter lying in bed, not afflicted anymore, Jesus did that for her. The woman who was the furthest from the furthest, Jesus gave her, her life back as a mother. Jesus gave this little girl her life back as a child. This experience we had with the twins also, also connects with me for the next text, for the next verse we're going to read. Starting in verse 31, it says, Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of Decapolis. There were some people brought, there some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ear, ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. When he looked up at heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, A father which means be opened. At this time, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Again, this story so much worse than what my, my little girls went through, but I could, I could literally see and hear their frustration, hear their confusion in their very young lives when they struggled to communicate, when they struggled to understand the world around them. I can still, I can still feel it on the inside when I think back on that time. And in this story, this, this man probably had his share of screams, of frustration, of anger, of confusion. This man probably had to depend on the pity of people that were around him. 
This man was probably dismissed time and time again. Put yourself in this man's place for just one minute. You can't speak. And you can't hear. There's nothing. There's nothing. Even now, with all our advancements in technology, what if you couldn't speak? What if you couldn't hear? I, I can't imagine the life he led. And here again, Jesus demonstrates the gospel in all its beauty to this man. He takes the man aside. His attention is personal. His attention is compassionate. He communicates in a way with the man that he can understand with gestures, not words. He doesn't have to touch him with his hands. He doesn't, but he touches him with his hands. Could he have just spoken words over him? Could he have just thought it in his mind? Could he have just blinked and it would have been done? Yes, yes. But this man needed to be ministered to by Jesus in that moment. And this is the way that Jesus did that. Jesus knew that this man needed his touch. Jesus knew that this man needed more. He, Jesus knew that this man needed to be away from the crowds at that moment. This man had probably been gawked at, had probably been stared at, had probably been so many things. So Jesus knew that taking him aside, doing this privately, was what this man needed. And in that quiet moment, Jesus looked up and he sighed. In some translations, it says he moaned. Could it be that the Lord is feeling all the hurt, all the pain, frustration, anger, confusion, embarrassment, sadness, desperation? Could he be feeling all of this from this man in that moment? When you sit with someone in pain... When you sit with someone who is suffering, you can feel it. I have sat next to friends who have experienced loss, who have experienced rejection, who have experienced so many difficulties in life. And I can pretty much keep it together for my friends. But there's been moments where, where you feel the pain so deep. And, and I have had no choice but to let the tears run down my face in that moment. I wonder if Jesus felt these things in that moment, in one intimate interaction, one emotional connection. Jesus ministers to this man, and this man is freed from his chains. So let me ask you again, what is Jesus doing here? Was this just a stop along the way, a simple coincidence, or was this more to this? Was there more to this? Were these people the stop along the way to the cross? Were these exchanges 
the mission he set out to do? Would Jesus travel in a big circle just for these two people? Yes. Yes. I believe that he was in Tyre for that woman. I believe he was in Sidon for this man. I believe that Jesus was there for them in that moment. That's why he was there. But both of these people's, people were outsiders. Both of these people were the furthest of the furthest and the last of the last, as we've mentioned before. But aren't we all these people? Aren't we all the furthest of the furthest and the last of the last? Aren't we all outsiders who deserve nothing? Yes. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. What gives us a seat at the table? Nothing we can do on our own, I can tell you that much. Nothing we can do on our own. Are we sometimes blind and mute to the beauty of the gospel? Yes. Yes, we are. But the miracles in these two stories show us that Jesus is for all of us. He is for all of us, not based on what we do, but who he is who he is and who he is to each of us will look different for you, for me, for people around us. It will look different, sound different, communicate different. He uttered a simple sentence for this girl who was far away and she was healed. He took the man aside personally, privately, and he was healed and ministered to. He knows what you and what I need. He knows it. He knows how to talk to us. You and I might be standing in the same place at the same time and hear and experience completely different things. And that is a beautiful picture of the gospel because it looks like so many different things. It looks like so many different things. The one thing that you and I and this woman and this man have in common is that he came for all of us. He came for all of us. No one is so unworthy that they cannot receive what he has to offer. Amen? What a beautiful picture. No longer dogs picking up scraps, but a member of the family and a place at the table. There is enough for everyone who comes to the table. Last Sunday at our in-person service, we sang a song that is titled, Come Ye Vagabonds. Listen to some lines from this song. It says, come all believers, all dreamers and schemers. Come all you restless just searching for home. Movers and shakers, givers and takers. The happy, the sad, the lost and alone. From every station and orientation, the helpless, the hopeless, the young and the old, fiery debaters and religion haters, accusers, abusers, the hurt and ignored. Come to the feast. There is room at the table. Come let us meet in this place with the king of all kindness who welcomes us in with the wonder and love and the power of grace. The wonder and love and power of grace. 
you know, several people came up afterwards and said, you know, we should sing this song every Sunday. And I completely agree. I think we should. Because there is room at the table for all of us, none of which of us on our own merit deserve to be there. Let these stories that we heard today remind us of the grace and mercy we have all been given. We are able to hear. We are able to speak. Would we hear these beautiful stories and sing beautiful praises, even in the strangest of circumstances, even in the strangest of ways, Jesus is always working. He is always ministering to us privately, publicly, intimately, on large scales, beyond boundaries, beyond traditions, beyond expectations, beyond timelines, at all hours, Jesus is always working. There is no need to despair ever. And there is always room at the table.